Our scripture for this morning's message will come to us from Genesis chapter 27. Genesis 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such that I love, and bring it to me, so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. He said, Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord, before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats so that I may prepare for them delicious food for your father, such that he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father... And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate. And he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. 
Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. And may your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you. And blessed be everyone who blesses you. Well, if you have your Bibles there, keep them open there for Genesis 27. As we look at the Word of God this morning and continue in this message series that we began the first of the summer. We're talking about the family this summer and, and what we see in the book of Genesis, these, these first families who, who model for us so much of what we see in our own families. The Bible says that there is nothing new under the sun. And the same kinds of issues and problems and divisions and disasters that they experience in the book of Genesis, we see played out in our own families. What we're going to see this morning in the, in the family of Isaac and Rebekah who began so well two weeks ago. A family of faith that in their older years turned to their own devices and reaped the destruction that comes with that. In this series we're talking about a couple of things. First of all, these first families in, have the same kinds of problems and issues that we experience in our families today. Second of all, we're talking about the reality that they are just as much in need of the grace of God as our families are today. The book of Genesis is very much a book of grace. And many people wrongly, uh, they misunderstand the Old Testament. They see in the Old Testament somehow this God of, of wrath and judgment. And then they turn the page into the New Testament and see a God of love and grace. But what we miss is that the God of love and grace has been there all along and He is a God of wrath and of judgment. This is the same God, Old and New Testament, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this ultimately is His story. As we look at these characters today in Genesis 27, and as we consider what's been taking place in our own nation over this past couple of weeks, the divisions that have erupted in our culture, and being reminded this morning that the family is the most essential and basic building block of any culture. That ultimately what we're, what we're seeing in our culture right now is not about political ideologies, Everything that we're seeing right now is based in this reality that, that the family has fallen apart in these last couple of generations. The basic building block of the family in our nation has taken such a hard hit and we are reaping the consequences of the very kinds of things that we see here in Genesis 27. So as we look at this today, we're going to see a family divided. And a reminder this morning of what happens when rather than walking by faith, we choose to walk according to what seems best to us. The truth of today is this, that the wickedness of man cannot thwart the will of God, but it can most certainly fracture a family. There is an enormous warning here in Genesis 27, but there is also an enormous promise here in Genesis 27. And I hope you'll see both of those things before we finish our time together 
today. We're going to look at four characters this morning, uh, three of which you'll see evident in this passage, and the, and the fourth may not seem so evident, and yet he is there. And the first one that we'll look at this morning is Isaac, and I have labeled him the chief sinner. And the reason that I've labeled Isaac this way is not so much that his sin was greater than anyone else's sin, but that he was the one that was leading out in these sinful actions. Now, he doesn't seem so bad here from the beginning. He basically just calls his oldest son and asks him, uh, you know, in my old age, I don't know how many days I'm going to have left, and, and I love this particular dish that, that you make. Would you make this special dish for me? That doesn't seem to be anything sinful in that. And yet we see that he was walking down a path of sinfulness. He was, in many ways, the chief of sinners, much like the Apostle Paul speaks about his own life in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. In some other translations it says of whom I am the chief. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, as the chief of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And the same is true of Isaac. The chief of sinners here in Genesis 27 is also a display of the perfect patience and grace of God toward a man who in his older years had turned inward in some very distinct ways. You see, the issue here at the beginning was this, that Isaac was supposed to be leading his family, not loading his belly. He was supposed to be leading his family in godly ways. We, we saw how just two weeks ago when we looked at the, the, end, the end of Abraham's life, as he's looking to his son Isaac and seeing that Isaac is in need of a bride. In order for the covenant promises made to Abraham to be carried on, Isaac, the son of promise, who was going to receive that covenant promise himself, needed a wife in order to carry on that godly lineage that would ultimately result in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ coming in to the world. And while Abraham in his final days was, was looking to get a wife for Isaac, Isaac in his final days, or so it appears here, he is looking to feed his own stomach. He is focused on his own desires and needs. He had turned away from God's instructions for marriage given in Ephesians Chapter 5, which says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves Himself. You see, the Bible is sitting before us a picture that the men who would lead in their homes would lead with a self-sacrificing love. But Isaac here was more intent upon loving himself than leading his family. 
And in fact, we see very clearly when we look back at Genesis 25 that he was actually willfully rejecting God's very word about his boys. Isaac had prayed for his wife. They had been married for 20 years before she finally conceived. And he had prayed that God would give them children that could carry on those covenant promises. And the Bible says that when, uh, when, she, when Rebecca uh, became pregnant, that, that she experienced uh, a lot of turmoil during that pregnancy. And she asked the Lord, she, she came to the Lord and she asked, why is it so? You know, basically you've given me uh, these children, you've given me, the, well she didn't know it was children at the time. But she said, you've given me, uh, you know, this, this pregnancy and yet there's so much turmoil happening. Why is this? And the Lord said to her in Genesis 25, he said, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now this is not the way that it was supposed to be in those days. It was meant that the younger would serve the older. There was a, a prominence given to the firstborn who would be known as Esau. But the Lord says, I'm going to do something different with these two boys that are, that are being uh, produced from your womb. These twins that will be born just minutes apart from one another. I'm going to do something different here. And he says to her, this is what my will is, that the older should serve the younger. My blessing, my covenant will be passed through the younger of these two sons. But we see here in Genesis 27, Isaac rejecting the plain word of God in order to fulfill his own preferences. Because he loved Esau more than Jacob. He sought to give that covenant promise and that blessing to Esau rather than to Jacob. But then in steps Rebekah in verse 5. I've called Rebecca here the calculating schemer. Now, ladies in the room, I hope you won't be offended by this, but she reminds me of one of my favorite movies. My wife and I, about once a year, will sit down and watch a movie called My Big Fat Greek Wedding. A sequel came out recently. We haven't seen that yet to know. We, don't, we kind of don't want to watch it because we're afraid the sequel will ruin uh, our, our love for that particular movie. But there's a, a scene in that movie uh, where the daughter who's wanting to go back to college, but she's been working in her, in her dad's restaurant, and she's, she's wanting to go back to college, and yet she doesn't believe that her dad will, will buy into that because he's kind of old school and doesn't believe that, that women need to be educated. And So she goes to her mother, and she's pleading her case. I want to go to college. I want to get a degree so that I can do something else with my life. I don't want to work forever as a waitress here in the restaurant. And she says, but I know that dad won't go along with this. And he's the head of the household. And her mother says, well, he may be the head, but I'm the neck. And I can turn the head in whichever way I please. That's Rebecca, folks. That is Rebecca here in Genesis 27, and I'm afraid that she is not alone in many of our households today. Warren Wiersbe wisely said, faith is living without scheming. 
And these two, Isaac and Rebekah, had begun so well. We saw just a couple of weeks ago how wonderful their relationship had begun. A relationship that was begun by faith as Abraham sent his faithful servant out to find a wife for Isaac. And they come together and how they had begun their marriage in love with one another. It says for the first time in all of the scriptures of, of, of marital love that Isaac loved Rebekah. And yet we see anything but love here. We see manipulation. We see scheming. We see a house divided. She was meant to be her husband's co-laborer, not his competitor. Husbands and wives in this room, I believe that one of the greatest gifts that we can give to our children, one of the greatest gifts that we can give to our grandchildren in whatever generations the Lord would allow us to see beyond that point The greatest gift that we can give is for them to see that mom and dad, that grandmother and grandfather are loving one another and are on the same page. Because we all know that those that have had the God-given privilege of, of raising children, children come into the world with this way of being a wedge between mom and dad. This happens in my own household on a weekly basis. I was sitting in our dining room having had a conversation with one of our children this week and they had asked me for a particular thing and I had said no. And if you know where our dining room and kitchen are, there's just a big wide open space between the two. There's not even a door there. There's a big wide open space and mom was in the kitchen preparing some food and this little one goes from where I was and said no right into the kitchen area, not 12 feet away, and asked the exact same question that I had just responded to, to Mama. And wisely, Mama, who had not heard that interaction, she answered correctly, what did your father say? (laughs) And that was the end of that. But in far too many households, that's not the end of that. Children play mom against dad. They become a wedge. A house is divided. And when parents, the greatest gift I believe you can give your children is mom and dad loving one another and being on the same page. Even if that means at times being a united front against the children. That's very, that's very countercultural today. Because we've come to idolize, idolize our kids in such a way that we tend to put them as the center of the household in a place they were never meant to be. Idolatry always breeds destruction, by the way. She was meant to be her husband's co-laborer, not his competitor. And we see here that she seems to think that she needed to help the will of God along. Who had made that promise in Genesis 25? God had made that to Rebekah. We know that Isaac was well aware of that promise, and yet he chose to go against it. But then she comes along, and it seems as though she needs. She thinks that she needs to help the will of God along. Well, I know God's promised to bless my younger son, who happened to be her favorite. Well, where do we see that? We see that in Genesis 25. Verses 27 and 28 says, When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. It was a house divided, a house where favoritism had become the rule. James speaks of this in James chapter 2. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you so love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. 
But if you show partiality or favoritism, you are committing sin, are convicted by the law as transgressors. Sometimes we don't think that favoritism is such a big deal, and yet James chapter 2 speaks very explicitly. In the book of 1 Corinthians, favoritism is listed alongside a host of other atrocious sins that cause division and disruption both in, in families and in churches. And here Rebecca is participating in this favoritism. She is scheming against her husband to get the blessing for the youngest son who, yes, was promised that blessing, but God did not need her help. You see, Rebecca had come to believe that the end justifies the means. Whatever it takes to get it done, whatever it takes to see the promises of God fulfilled, that must be okay. But the righteous plans of God are not meant to be accomplished through the unrighteous schemes of man. Though, as we will see, he will accomplish his plans one way or the other. So Isaac is sinning, Rebecca is scheming, and then Jacob comes into the picture. And I've labeled him the calloused swindler. He steps into the picture following the instructions of his mother. I'm going to make this food for you. I'm going to dress you up in your brother's clothes. And we're going to put goat skins upon the smooth parts of your body. And your role here will be to go in and play the part and actively deceive your father. And what we find demonstrated here is the truth that is so true in all of our lives that deception can only be defended by more deception. Lie covers lie covers lie throughout this passage. He walks into the room in his brother's garments already living the deception. From the beginning, his father asks him, Who are you? And he says, I am Esau. And from that point forward to the second pronouncement of I am Esau, we see five or six different lies that are, that are played out through this scene. It's one deception after another to the point where, in verse 20, he even calls upon God as his accomplice. That's why I call him the callous swindler. He even pulls God into the picture as an accomplice to his scheme. Jacob or Isaac asks him, how is it that you found uh, this game so quickly? How is it that you come back so soon, my son? And Jacob answered him, because the Lord your God granted me success. Notice he doesn't say the Lord my God. These are not words of faith here. He was using Isaac's own faith against him because the Lord your God granted me success. And in subtext, so you need to now grant me your blessing. This schemer plotting against his own father, his own family. It's not a pretty picture here. We have a dad who is bent against the revealed will of God for his family. A mother who is scheming against her husband. And we have this younger son who has become a party to her schemes and is actively deceiving his father. 
But then there's something strange that's said in Hebrews chapter 11. We've gone back to this passage time and time again because the New Testament brings light to the Old Testament in ways that are very important. If we step away from Genesis 27 without looking at the light shed on it in Hebrews chapter 11, we will very much miss the point. In Hebrews 11 verse 20, it says this about this scene. It says, By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. I think that at face value this morning. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Does Isaac look like a man of faith up to the point we've come so far in Genesis chapter 27? I hope you're shaking your head this way. This does not look like a man of faith. Does his wife look like a woman of faith? No, she does not. Does his son look like a man of faith? No, none of these characters, all of these are so wrapped up in their own selfish and sinful ways, seeking to get not really even what God wants, but what they personally want. They are so wrapped up in their sinful selfishness that it has caused rampant division in their family, two on two, warring against one another. And yet Hebrews 11.20 says, By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. So what's going on here? Well, you have to read the rest of the story in order to see it. I want to just lead us through a few more of these verses. Let's pick up where we left off there. And Jacob has, has received this blessing, uh, this heartfelt blessing that Isaac believed he was giving to Esau. Jacob has received this blessing. It says in verse 30, And as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? And he answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Listen to verse 33. It says, Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it before you came, and I have blessed him? Listen to these words. Yes, and he shall be blessed. So Esau comes in, having hunted the game that his father requested, prepared the food that his father requested. He comes in to receive the blessing. And there is this scene in which we find Isaac, the patriarch of the family, is left in utter devastation. This violent trembling takes place visibly in his body, down to the very depths of of his soul because this is a picture of true repentance taking place. Real, the realization has come that he has been operating against God. He has been operating against his wife. He has been the source and the cause of so much hurt and pain in his family and he is left broken. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse wrote about this scene this way. He said, before a great work of grace, there must 
be an earthquake. Isaac had put his personal love of Esau ahead of the will of God. Down came his idol, and the edifice of willful love collapsed before the shaking power that took hold of him. The arrogant pride which had slyly planned to thwart God toppled to the ground, broken beyond repair. When Isaac trembled exceedingly, all his desires were shattered. In the place of that destruction, God began to build something new. So I said from the very beginning this morning, please understand, our schemes cannot thwart the will and purpose and plan of God but they can reap destruction in our lives. As we consider that destruction, see the rest of the story here. Not long after Jacob is forced to leave home, his brother is so angered he wants to kill him. And he was plotting to wait until the day when his father Isaac passes away so not to dishonor his father while he's living. Esau plots to kill his own brother because of what happened here in Genesis 27. Rebekah hears of this and goes to Isaac and asks him to send Jacob away to find a wife. And she never gets to see her favorite son, Jacob, again. She thinks he'll simply go find a wife and come back and everything will be smoothed over, but he never returns before her death. The family is divided for decades because they chose to go their own way, do their own thing, fulfill their own selfish desires rather than walking by faith and trusting God. And yet in this picture, I want to take you back to to the blessing that's given in verses 26 through 29. In this blessing that was given from Isaac to Jacob, who, of course, he thought was Esau, in this blessing there is some truth that reminds us of the one who puts our families back together, who redeems the brokenness that we have wrought. Here we see Jesus, the covenant Savior. Jesus, the covenant Savior. Kent Hughes says, but in and above everything, this is something of immense beauty and grandeur. The invisible determination of God to keep His Word, despite the prevailing unbelief and unfaithfulness of His people, God fulfilled His Word despite Isaac's opposition, despite Rebekah and Jacob's manipulation, and despite Esau's indifference. God's will will be done. He will accomplish His plans and purposes. But that does not absolve us of the responsibility of our scheming. Nor does it always erase the consequences that come. And so Isaac says to Jacob in verse 26, Come near, my son, and kiss me. And so when he came near to him and kissed him, and Isaac, he smelled the smell of his garments, who were Esau's garments, be reminded. And then he begins to bless him. Here in this kiss, we see a reminder of our Savior, who too was betrayed with a kiss. It says in Luke 22, 
that while Jesus was still speaking, there came a crowd. This was the night of his betrayal. And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. And he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? You see, Jacob betrayed his father with a kiss. But his father was a sinner who was so soaked in his own selfishness that he could not see beyond what he was doing in that moment. But Judas betrayed the perfect Son of God with a kiss. But the plans and purposes of God would not be thwarted. Because we see that Jesus is the utter fulfillment of all God's covenant promises. Let's look back at these verses. Verse 27, Isaac blesses him and says, See, the smell of my son is the smell of the field the Lord is blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, plenty of grain and wine. Let the people serve you. Nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. The ultimate fulfillment of all of that is found in Jesus Christ. He is the beloved Son of the Father. He is the one who is worthy of the dew of heaven. He is the one who is worthy of the fatness of the earth. He is the one who nations will bow down to and people will serve. He is the one who will be the dividing line between those who are cursed and those who are blessed. And everyone who blesses the name of Jesus Christ and who walks in obedience to Him by faith and does not live a life of scheming and trying to get their own way will receive the covenant promises of God. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 it says all the promises of God find their yes in Him. All the covenant promises of God are wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. Beyond the desire of Isaac to see the purposes and plans of God fulfilled in Esau. Beyond the desire of Rebekah to see the purposes and plans of God fulfilled in Jacob. God Almighty was working through this fractured family. We look at Genesis 27 and we see there seems to be no hope. And so many times we look at our own families and it seems no different. We see divisions. We see issues. We see problems. But I would urge you today, look to Christ. He is the only hope for the divided family. He is the only hope for fractured sinners. And He is the ultimate fulfillment of all the promises of God. That's why through Him we utter our Amen to God for His glory. And I urge you this morning, let that Amen, let that so be it, let that response to the good purposes and plans of God, let that echo in your soul this morning. I don't know what your family is facing during these days. It seems like everywhere we turn, there is hurt and pain and division in families. We are reaping the consequences of a generation that's tried to redefine family, that's tried to restructure family, that's tried to push family to the outskirts of society. But our 
redeeming God and our covenant Savior is coming to us and saying, there is a more glorious way. But you've got to look to me. You're not going to figure this out on your own. And you're not going to find the resolution in whoever is elected in November. And it's not going to get better just if we enact more gun control laws. The ultimate problem that we're facing, folks, is that we have turned away from the things of God and gone our own way. Just like in the days of the judges, each does what is right in his own eyes and we reap the same kinds of destruction they did. It's only by turning back to the living God and His Son, Jesus Christ. It's only by fixing our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's only by trusting in Him that we will see things turn in this culture. And church, let's be careful. Because we are awfully quick. We are awfully quick to point the finger at a lost and broken world and say, if they would just get their act together, things would be better. But when you read the Word of God, it always comes back to the people of God. Lost people are going to do what lost people are going to do. But what will God's people do when the foundations are being shaken? Will we turn to Him and show this world, the light of the gospel, the way, the truth, and the life. Father, we come to you this morning and we pray that you would show us that there is a better way. And it will not be found in political resolutions. It will not be found in in social restructuring. It will not be found in more laws and regulations. That the only hope that exists for mankind is Jesus Christ. And from the very beginning, you've been showing us how all along, even through these fractured and divided families, you were playing out your perfect purpose to bring our Savior into the world. It was through this fractured family, through the line of Jacob, that you would bring Jesus our Savior. And Lord, may we see today however fractured our families might be, may we see today that the only hope we have is the only hope they had. That our hope is in Christ alone. In Him we trust. Fix our eyes on Jesus this morning, Lord. And as we share this final song together, May we be renewed in our faith. And may we sit before this fractured and broken world a picture of what happens when the light of the world is shown on the problems of the world, when the Son of God is made known to those who are walking in darkness.
ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.